Today's sermon is our second sermon in our imperfect series. This is the study of the life of Moses, of Moses. And um, man, I'm telling you, uh, today is a little bit of a transitional sermon, but that's okay. Uh, when, when we preach the Bible as the whole counsel of God, every now and then we preach sermons that kind of connect the dots, right? Like there are dots here, there's a dot here, and we need to get from point A to point B. And so today is that, but I believe there's some life-changing truths in this sermon today that can help you. Uh, a great theologian, you may have heard of him, his name's Tim McGraw. Um, he he uh, put out a song a few years ago called My Next 30 Years. Um, one of the lines was, I'm going to have more somethings and not so many beers. So whatever that was, that was a, that was a line in there. Um, but uh, Lord have mercy on my next 30 years. That's, that's the part I remember. Lord have mercy on my next 30 years. Well, um, that's kind of where I got the, uh, the thought from, obviously, um, but the title of today's sermon is My Next 40 Years, all right, My Next 40 Years. Now, I'm not 40 yet. I'm a young buck. Um, I still, I'm claiming my mid-30s until the day I turn 40. That's the way it is. I could be 39 and turning 40 next week, and I'm going to be like, I'm, I'm in my mid-30s. It's all good, uh, but I am not yet 40. However, um, that kind of helps me uh, as I prepare for this message. Um, I will say that I am not, if you want, by the way, Bibles, Exodus 2. If you want to go ahead and turn there, Exodus 2. I am definitely not a numerology guy uh, when it comes to scripture. Now, there are some who are much more into numerology and what, what um, hyper numerology people say, they say, oh, if you look at John eleven eleven, and then you look at the 11th word in the verse, you'll see that. The word says this, and that number means, it's just craziness. Uh, if you look in the sixth book, in the sixth chapter, and the sixth verse, you'll see man right there. And six is the number of man. Wow. And they're like, for some, re for some way it helps them, like, I don't know. I guess it helps them with their faith to know that there's, there could be like this crazy little uh, Da Vinci code, I guess, like woven throughout scripture. Um, but, you know, I I'm not a numerology guy. In fact, I would say this. Um, especially to those watching on the internet, because it seems that a lot of people that watch stuff on the internet can get caught up in things like that. So for the, my friends that are watching online as well, you can get really messed up when you try to dig too deep and try to create things in scripture that aren't really there. Okay, so we just need to watch that. It, let's put it this way. If you hear something preached and you're like, well, that seems a little odd. Well, guess what? It probably is. If you hear something preached, you're like, well, that doesn't sound like you're probably right, okay? It doesn't sound right. Um, but the number 40 does appear throughout Scripture many times, and it does have some significance. So there are things in numbers that do matter. Seven is the number of completion in Scripture. It is, is the number of God. Uh, six is the number of man. There are things in, in, in Scripture that kind of uh, represent certain things or just have created patterns throughout Scripture, and 40 is one of them. Moses, who we will study about, was on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, twice, receiving the, the commandments, the law there on the tablets. The Hebrew spies, they spied on the promised land. Remember, 10 were bad and 2 were good. Well, however you do that when you were a kid, 12 men went to spy on Canaan. Tell them about those, those spies, 40 days and 40 nights into the promised land to spy out the land. Jonah, he warned the city of Nineveh, guess what, for 40 days. Elijah went 40 days fasting at Mount Horeb. The children of Israel, as we'll talk about, wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus was tempted by the devil during a 40-day fast in the wilderness. 
Jesus appeared to his disciples and followers after his resurrection only 40 days before he ascended into heaven. So 40 is a significant number in scripture. In fact, the number generally brings about it a period of testing, uh, trial, or probation. 40 is often, if you want to give it a word, it's maybe waiting, testing, trial, probation. How many of you feel like every now and then you're in that season? A holding pattern. God, I'm doing what I believe I'm supposed to be doing, but I feel like I'm treading water here. I feel like I'm not moving. I'm in a waiting period. I'm in a testing period. I'm in a trial period. I'm in a period, a period of probation. In today's message, we're going to cover Moses in two 40-year gaps of time. 40 years in Egypt and 40 years in Midian. We aren't there yet, but to kind of complete Moses' life, he spends another 40 years in the wilderness. Moses' life, and not to be a spoiler, but we're going to come to the end of Moses' life and realize that Moses' life was basically made up of three waiting, testing, probationary 40-year stints. We're going to dive into these first two 40-year periods of time and then a very important event that takes place between 40 years in Egypt and 40 years in Midian. Can we pray together before we dive into God's word? Heavenly Father, speak through your word today. Hide me behind your word. Hide me behind your cross. Help me not say one word that is contradictory to what you would have said today. I pray that your name be lifted high. I pray that the story ring true in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, will be our text this morning. And if you have your Bibles, please follow along in your Bibles. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Then he said, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared. You ever been there? You ever had somebody say something and like, you know, they know? You know, he's like, oh man, they know. And you would react the same way Moses. So Moses feared. And said, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Forty years. A significant event. And then 40 more years. Forty years. A significant event. And then 40 more years. Let's look this morning at those three things. Number one, the 40 years in the palace. The 40 years in the palace. Between Exodus chapter 2 and verse 10, where we finished last week, and Exodus chapter 2 and verse 11, where we picked up this week, there is a gap of approximately 40 years. This is 40 years of silence in the Old Testament. And we obviously don't even learn of it until Stephen mentions it in Acts chapter 7. So Acts chapter 7, this is why you compare Scripture with scripture to learn more scripture all right acts chapter 7 and verse 22 all the way in the new testament stephen is speaking about moses in verse 22 and moses was learned 
in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Verse 23, now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. When he was 40, he decided to take that walk. He decided to go out and view what was going on. And remember from last week, what was going on? Slavery. Hard labor. Beating. Taskmasters. That's what was going on. Uh, Moses has made it through genocide. Every single boy that was born was to be executed. And Moses made it through that. So that's what was going on. And while we cannot learn much about these 40 years that Moses spent in Pharaoh's palace, we do know that he was very well educated. He was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Egyptians Historians claim that Moses was probably educated uh, in an area called uh, Heliopolis where many would travel to get a great education for their children. Moses no doubt was trained in physical fitness and in the basics of war being an Egyptian warrior. He was more than likely a master of languages. He said he was mighty in words and a student of the law, maybe of the code of Hammurabi of Babylon. But God gave Moses his Egyptian background in order to prepare him for what was to come ahead. This was vastly important that Moses be trained in the Egyptian lifestyle because for the first four years of his life, we learned that he was trained in the Hebrew lifestyle by his mother. Remember last week, his mother trained him in his early four four years. She trained him as as to the the Hebrew way. And then for for the next 36 years, he learned the Egyptian way. This was a very balanced man that was Moses. A very balanced man. He knew of the Hebrew heritage. He he knew of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and he knew of Joseph and he knew of all of the victories that God had brought through. He knew of the covenant that God had given to Abraham. He knew of all of that. But yet he also knew everything there was to know about living in the house of the king. He knew everything there was to know about living in Pharaoh's house. And so this was a balanced man at 40 years old. Don't think what we're about to talk about next, this turning point, don't think that this was a 17-year-old kid who didn't really know what was going on. This was a 40-year-old man. So that's what we want to look at. Secondly, we saw the 40 years in the palace, and because the Bible does not speak much to the 40 years in the palace, we are not going to speak much to it. I believe that's always a wise thing, by the way. If you have a, pre- a preacher or a pastor that speaks where the Bible speaks and he shuts up where the Bible shuts up, that's always a good thing. And you know, about time it's time to shut up today, that's what I need to do, right? So uh, I got my people. I've already told people because of connect groups today, once it gets time, I need some of these right here. I know what that means. I need this right here. That means land the plane, land the plane. All right, so my wife's not in here to, to do it from the second row. Here's Keith. You're in the spot, bro. There you go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Secondly, this morning, let's look at the turning point. The turning point. Moses spends 40 years raised by his mother, raised in the the house of Pharaoh. 40 years. And then there's a turning point. Moses walks out. He leaves where he was. And he goes to find the oppression. He goes and he's able to see what is taking place to his Hebrew brothers and sisters. This is a momentous turning point in his life. 
Verse 11 in Exodus chapter 2 tells us, It came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian. And, and he hid him in the sand. We find out more comparing Scripture with Scripture back in Acts chapter 7. Verse 23, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren. We already read this, the children of Israel, but continuing. 24, and seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you are brethren, why do you wrong one another? By the way, Moses was seeing the frustration I think many pastors see among believers in the body of Christ. Hey, you're brothers, why are you going at each other? Hey, you're sisters, why are you fighting? I think God looks down at his children and goes, hey, you're part of the family, why are you fighting? But men, you're brethren, why do you do wrong one to another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did at the Egyptian yesterday? Then at the saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. Hebrews 11, another scripture, the hall of faith, adds something that we did not find in Acts 7. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24. I apologize this morning for giving you so much scripture. Come back next week. I'll pull two words out and just preach on those. Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, 40 years old, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. These verses tell us that Moses made a deliberate choice to identify with the oppressed persecuted, slave-ridden, and driven children of Israel, the Hebrews. He made a choice to identify with his own people, the children of Israel, those people who had been in intense slavery, intense oppression for just over 40 years. He chose to do this for what he must have understood to be God's purpose in his life. And while this, by the way, church, while this was a noble choice to identify with God's people as opposed to the oppressors, right? That's a noble choice. He chose to, to display his choice in a sinful way. His first act of identifying with God's people was a sinful act that wound up as an epic failure. Murder. Hey, I want to do the right thing. I want to stand with those who are, who are experiencing injustice. I want to stand with those that are experiencing oppression. So I'm going to go and murder the oppressor. Now, I promise you, nowhere in these notes on this inspired iPad, nowhere in these notes is there anything about current events. But I will say this. Just because we understand that there's injustice and oppression in whatever opinion that you may have does not make it right for you to commit a sinful act, okay, in protest of that. Does everybody understand? Moses wanted to do the right thing. He wanted to stand up for the oppressed. He wanted to stand up for injustice. But he went about it the wrong 
way. And may I just say this? If you turn on the news, which my, my uh, oldest daughter, Kelsey, will not let me do, and I need to learn from her. She doesn't want to hear the garbage. She won't let me turn on the news when she's in the room. But you turn on the news, and what you've seen over the last few months, you've seen a lot of people that think they're standing for something, or they think that they're, and they're doing it in sinful ways, and they're doing it in ways that would not bring honor and glory to Christ. And let me say this, church, that's where we must live. All across this country, now it's not getting publicized, but all across this country, you know what we are seeing? We are seeing larger cities have worship events. Hey, we're seeing cities band together and thousands of people coming together on the steps of a Capitol building and worshiping Jesus together. In Portland, Oregon, you didn't hear about this on the mainstream news. People got, I think it was Portland, people got baptized in a trough out, outside in, Port, in the city of Portland, Oregon during all the suppression. And by the way, let me just say this, folks. If we are going to battle injustice and we're going to fight oppression, may we fight it on our knees with our hands lifted high, worshiping Jesus and drawing people to him and baptizing people and seeing people come to Christ. Amen. By the way, we can clap in church. It's all good. I don't mind if you talk back to me and preach back to me. It's all good too. As long as it ain't no heresy. I'll, I'll shut you up real quick if it's heresy, but it's all right. All that to say, and, and I, I don't want to get ahead of myself in my practical applications this morning, but there is a right way and a wrong way to do right. There's a right way and a wrong way to do right. And may true followers of Jesus stand for right the right way. Moses, imperfect, imperfect. Moses displays how to do the right thing the wrong way. Hey, I want to stand with the, the slave-driven, oppressed children of Israel. I want to step down from my privileged position in the palace of having anything and everything I want, living as the king's grandson. I'm going to step down, and I want to place myself with the oppressed, with the poor, with the needy, with those that have been beaten. But here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to kill the person who does it. That's the wrong thing, folks. We must do right the right way. But as he sees the Egyptian taskmaster beating one of the Hebrew slaves, Moses takes matters into his own hands and kills the Egyptian, burying his body in the sand. I'm not here to question God's sovereignty. God is sovereign. He knew God exists in no time. He knows he's still existing right now in this story as if it's going on right now. And he's existing in 2020 as if it's going on right now, and he's existing in 2030, as if it's going on. God doesn't exist in time. God is always there and always has been there. Think on that one for a while. Chew on that one over lunch today, okay? I'm not questioning God's providence and his sovereignty here. What I am saying is, I wonder if Moses would have done right and waited on God, would, would the children of Israel have been spared this next 40-year gap? Would the children of Israel have gotten out of slavery 40 years sooner? Would the Passover have happened 40 years prior? Instead, Moses takes matters into his, own, into his own hands. And as a result of this decision, and the fact that word got out very quickly, Moses flees to Midian. And that's where we'll pick up thirdly this morning. 
40 years in Midian. A lot takes place in Midian. Um, by the way, Midian is not a specific location. The Midianites were nomadic people. They moved constantly. Uh, you may remember the Midianites. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, put in a pit, sold into slavery. He was sold to the Midianites. They were traveling through their nomadic people. They would stay here for a while. They'd move somewhere else and stay there for a while. And they'd move somewhere else and they'd stay there for a while. So they were nomadic people. And so he found himself at a well with the Midianites. And he fends off some shepherds in Midianite territory. He fends them off and protects a lady. Just so happens to be his future family, his future wife, Zipporah. Beautiful name. We'll call her Zippy. Um, but uh, if she was my wife, if she was my wife, I would just go by the zip. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, that'd be terrible. I would get bruises and everything, so it wouldn't be good. But Moses enters the territory there and meets his wife, Zipporah. He settles down as a husband, has two children. And he begins the simple life. I don't know what was going through Moses' mind. I don't know if Moses said, listen, I, I thought I was making a noble choice and stepping out of the palace to the people. Unfortunately, I, I murdered someone. I don't know if the guilt of murder, I don't know if the safety maybe that he felt with the Midianites, the fact that he could kind of hide in Midian or with the Midianites, but Moses seemingly moves on with life. It's as if Moses got put into the witness protection program. No longer fearful of Pharaoh and flees. He has two children and he begins the life of a shepherd. These 40 years in Midian, at the very least, distance Moses from his past. And by the way, sometimes God uses these 40 years of waiting. God uses time to distance us from our past. How many of you have heard the statement, hey, time is a great healer? You heard that statement before? It's true. Hey, sometimes we need a little time. Um, some people may be coming out of difficult relationship issues, and sometimes, you know what, you need a little time. Some of you may come out of uh, abusive church situations, and guess what? You may need a little time. Uh, some of you uh, may, may just be going through a struggle season, and guess what? It's a season. It's a little bit of time, and so Moses does that. And Moses may have tried his best to forget his past, but God did not forget Moses. Back in Exodus chapter 2, look at verse 23. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, the Pharaoh, Moses' grandfather, who loved him and would allow him to be raised in the palace, but then turned when Moses murdered. That's the man. He dies. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. Hey, God had not stopped listening, loving, and caring for his children. Look at verse 24. So God heard their groaning. 
and God remembered his covenant with Abraham. Oh, uh, we, will, we will go back in Genesis and cover the, the Abrahamic covenant. It is extremely important. The Abrahamic covenant predicts everything that's going on right now. So God heard, God remembered. Verse 25, and God looked upon the children of Israel. He saw them. Sometimes in our waiting period, all I want from God is to just know he sees me. To just know he... And then God acknowledged them. That's a sermon right there. The God who hears, remembers, looks, and acknowledges. That's the God that the Israelites served. That's the God of the Hebrew people. That's the God of Moses. However, Moses had spent two different 40-year periods. Probation. Waiting. The continued slavery and the bondage was wearing on the children of Israel. They cry out to God. He hears them. He remembers his covenant. He looks on the needs of the people. And he acknowledges them. What, what more do we need? What more do we need from this story? Than everything that's going on. All of the, the peripherals of Moses moving and Moses being the, the deliverer who murders and has to, be, has to leave. Moses being the savior who sins and must vanish. And for 40 more years, they're in slavery and oppression and bondage and they cry out to God and he, he hears, he remembers, he looks, he acknowledges. I want to conclude today with some practical applications and takeaways. Y'all ain't never seen me do this at 10.47 a.m. Y'all know Connect Group start today. Number one, we often do the right things the wrong way when we do them our way. Practical application this morning. We often do the right things the wrong way when we do them our way. Do not, I repeat, do not think it's noble Christianity to take matters into your own hands. All throughout scripture we are told to wait on the Lord. To wait patiently for him. Listen, you may be in a season, you may be in a wilderness, you may be in a 40 year or a 40 day waiting period. And I'm not saying 40 specific days. I mean just the season of life, that rhythm of life. You may be in a waiting period. But I will say this, wait on the Lord. Do not try to do the right thing the wrong way by doing it your way. God's big enough to not only plan what you're supposed to do, but how you're supposed to do it, when you're supposed to do it, and with whom. Be patient. Secondly, practical application, takeaway. What can we take from this sermon to help us this week? I love this one. Failure is never final. If I'm not dead, God's not done. If I'm not dead, God is not done. Moses, you murdered a man. Failure is never final. I thought about this this week. I hope, I hope this translates. It's, 
It makes sense in my head. We often think of the Old Testament as being the vengeful judgment of God sometimes, right? God comes in and wipes out, you know, people, and he does do some of that. We've talked about it in connect groups. I see Chris back there chuckling. We've had this exact conversation in connect groups, right? <laughs> By the way, if you come to connect groups, you have conversations like that. It's pretty cool. Just a brief, uh, brief commercial. Um, and we often think about that, right? God comes in, and man, God, you break this law, and God's like, why did you break the law? You know. But I want you to think about the grace that is shown to people in the Old Testament. Think of the sin in the life of the greats of the Old Testament. Sin that in New Testament Christianity in 2020, we would be like, that dude ain't coming back to church here. Moses murdered. David slept with another man's... David connived his way into taking the life of a soldier of his so that he could take that man's wife to be his own. And God used him. Abraham. I'm not even going to talk to you about some of the sins of Abraham, even though the kids are out of here. Still not going to talk to you about some of the sins of Abraham. It, it involved no clothes and stuff like that. At the end of the day, the grace that was shown, even in the Old Testament, is a grace that we don't really even comprehend and know in the New Testament. The fact that God would still use the murderous Moses. Failure is never final. We, we did a connect group study. My second commercial. Now, what's that guy who passed away with the beard that did the... Um, Sham Wow, that guy, I forget his name, he used to do, I forget his name. He used to get up there and do his commercials like, call 1-800, blah, blah. That's what I feel like right now. But we did a study a couple years back called The Grace of God and the Flaws of Man. It was an Indian gentleman who did the, the study. And he went through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all these Old Testament people, and we saw the grace of God. Hey, listen, God's grace is there for your failure. God's grace is there for your mess up. Listen, Moses wasn't perfect, and he never will be perfect. But his failure was not final. His failure was not final. God used Moses as the human deliverer and the human savior of the children of Israel. And he's going to do that. And guess what? I think he allows Moses to mess up and mess up and mess up. Just so at the end of the day, we all know that it wasn't Moses, and it was all God. It was all God. Failure is never final. And you may, you may feel like a failure. You may be told that you're a failure. Your marriage may be failing. Your marriage may have failed. I don't know where you're at this morning. Your job may have failed you. Your finances may have failed you. But let me say this. Failure is never final with God's people. And we may go through a season of probation or waiting. But failure is never final. Because thirdly, be patient during the 40s of life the 40 days the 40 nights the waiting these are waiting periods that will have an end you say what happened with moses he spends 40 years in midian oh come back next sunday we're going to do another new song it's called the great i am Woo! worship is going to be mm. you know what happens in the 40 years after waiting 
God reveals himself to Moses in a way no one else has ever seen him before and will ever see him again. You know why? Because that 40-year testing, that waiting period, it had an end. God had a plan. God had a plan. Your failure has an ending. Fourth of this morning, God was preparing Moses during his wilderness 40. Yet this points to Christ as he displayed power over temptation in his wilderness 40. Moses, the imperfect Savior throughout this entire series, will point to Jesus Christ, the perfect Savior. And Moses may have struggled through his 40 years in Midian because of his sin, but it was simply pointing to Jesus, who would spend 40 days fasting in the wilderness only to be tempted with food and water and to show his power over sin, to show his power over Satan, to show his power over the forces of evil. You see, the imperfect deliverer, Moses, pointed to the perfect deliverer, Jesus. The imperfect Savior, Moses, pointed to the perfect Savior, Jesus. And while Moses was in his 40-year waiting period because of his sin, Jesus was in his 40-day waiting period to show his power over sin. And Moses was there because of it. Jesus was there to proclaim victory over it. And listen, you may search this world. The book of Judges in our connect group this morning is going to help you understand it. We may search this world for Savior after Savior after Savior after Savior and deliverer after deliverer after deliverer after deliverer. We could work. We can do anything we want to do. But at the end of the day, it is Jesus that we need. It is his power that we need. It is his victory over sin that we need. This morning, have you found yourself in a waiting period? Do you find yourself currently in a season of wilderness? Do you find yourself in a Midian situation, trying to forget your past, trying to move forward? Listen, failure is never final. Theologian McGraw, in Moses' next 40 years, he was about to witness some of the most incredible miracles that's ever taken place on this earth. He was about to experience the Red Sea. He was about to experience turning seas into highways. Did you catch that line this morning? He's about to experience God turning seas into highways. But he had to get through it. Your failure is never final. There is something coming. Next, I, I'm going to have an illustration next week, the burning bush. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do an illustration next week. There's something coming. And it's mind-blowing next Sunday. But we had to get through the wilderness. We had to get through the 40 years. And some of you, there's something coming. I don't know what it is, but you got to get through it. The waiting period, the probation, you got to get through it. It's not final. God has you for a reason. And this all points to Jesus. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. 
If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and all around the world. Visit keystonerdu.church to get involved.